Hi, everyone. I'm Mel Butcher. And I'm Michelle Ridfin. And we're behind the Lead to Soar podcast. We've got a couple really fun things to share with you. And the first thing we want to share is our colleague, Susan Colantuno. She started a podcast called Be Business Savvy. Be Business Savvy. We highly recommend it. And it's a short form podcast where you hear directly from Susan. It's like having a friendly mentor in your ear. So check her out at BeBusinessSavvy.com. Over to you, Michelle. Thanks, Mel. Well, two exciting things from me, along with Be Business Savvy. Number one, The Leadership Compass. My very first book is due for release on March 26, 2024. You can find out more about The Leadership Compass, what it's all about. Of course, it'll be your ultimate guide if you're an ambitious woman leader. You can find more about that at michelleredfern.com. And hand in hand with the Leadership Compass book is the Leadership Compass boot camps. I'm going to do one boot camp a quarter for 2024 for just six women at a time. And you'll be working through in three weeks. So, yes, it's short, sharp, and high impact. All of the elements from the Leadership Compass and my 40 years of executive experience. So, you'll cover BQ, EQ, and SQ, and you will be positioned to have a career that soars. Again, you can find out about the boot camps at michelleredfern.com, leadtosoar.com, or if you can't find any of that, just drop us a line and we'll point you in the right direction. You're listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of a career that soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. The Lead to Soar podcast is recorded in many places across the world. In Australia, it's recorded on the lands of the Wadawurrung, Wurundjeri and Boon people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past and present, for they hold the memories, the traditions, the cultures and the hopes of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples across the nation. We also pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Welcome to the Lead to Soar podcast. I'm Mel Butcher. And this is a special episode. We have a Q&A with all of the hosts from A Career That Soars, Michelle Redfern, Amal Youssef, and Susan Colantuno. So maybe really quickly, let's do some intros. I'm going to pass it to you, Amal, for just a quick intro. Who are you? Hi, I am the queen of the world. (laughs) My name is Amal Youssef, and I am a co-host of A Career That Soars. But most of all, I am a businesswoman who is very passionate about building teams who are thriving and who are leading for business outcomes and especially passionate about empowering women to be true business leaders, right? And and for whatever the definition that word is for you, I think, you know, that's what you should be aspiring to. And we shouldn't put restrictions on what, you know, women in business can be or can do. You can do anything and you can be anybody, just like you were told when you were growing up. If you want to be a businesswoman, you can be one that is thriving and moving the business forward. And we are here to make sure that that's what happens for you. Love it. Okay, Susan. I'm Susan Colantuno, also co-host at A Career That Soars, as Mel said. And you have to include yourself, Mel, as one of of the, yeah. (laughs) I am also, what I realized this week, the person who created the second most watched TED Talk on women in business. It's called The Career Advice You Probably Didn't Get. 
and author of No Ceiling, No Walls and Make the Most of Mentoring. And I absolutely second everything Amal said. And Michelle. Oh, I just, queen of the world. I bow at your altar. (laughs) I love that. I love that introduction. So Michelle Redfern, also a co-host of A Career That Soars. Everything that I do is about women. It's about closing the global leadership gender gap and enabling women to reach their full potential and to echo Amal's call, no matter what they want to be and how they how they determine what a life well lived is. That's what I that's what, what I want to do. So yeah, that's me. And I'm Mel Butcher. I'm so pleased to be here with all of these inspiring, incredible women. And I'm a co-host inside a career that soars with all of them. So it's a place that we'd love to see you, dear listeners. If you're not a member already, you can find out more at a career that soars. Dot com. Okay, I'm going to launch right into the Q&A here. So I'm going to be acting as the, the question asker. I'm going to relay questions that we've got in here. And we're going to turn to our amazing panel for guidance and advice. Hey, Mel, before we do that, I'm going to give an unashamed plug to one of the things that's gone a bit viral in a career that soars this year, which is we made a decision to hold a coaching call every every week in a career that soars. And this episode today is kind of the a distilled version so that the rest of the world can get a sense of the territory that we cover every week. So we have women who show up who are seeking advice and women who show up every week who want to give advice or share wisdom um, and support. So this is a this is a, a sort of a, a little version of, of what we cover every single week in a career that soars, women supporting women. Absolutely. Thank you for adding that. Michelle. Okay, here we go with our first question. This person wrote, I'm unsure if my current career path is for me. When do you know if sticking it out is fake positivity or reality? How do I figure out if I'm an actual imposter or just feeling like everyone else? Can I go first with one statement? I really want all of our listeners, no matter which gender you are, to think really carefully about the imposter syndrome and who gets lots and lots of advice about the imposter syndrome. Let me answer that, my own question, women do. I I shared this morning with, with one of the groups inside A Career That Soars Adam Grant posted around the mindset of having an imposter of, of imposter syndrome is, oh my God, they might find out one day that I'm really not very good. The growth mindset is, you know what? I don't know everything yet and I've got new skills to learn and I'm going to set about doing that. I've just, you know, that's paraphrasing. So I really want to first of all, ask this listener to examine, really critically examine imposter syndrome and kind of set that to one side and say, you know what, we are all humans, we are all evolving, we are all learning, it never stops. So put that just to one side for a start. The second bit that I'll add, which I'd love Susan and Amal uh, and your good self Mel to build on is, you know, you've got to do the work to know who you are and what you want. At the start, I said, I want to help women live a life well lived. What does a life well lived look like? across all aspects of your life, including your career. When you know what you want, it makes it easier to work at if you're in the right environment. Or another way to look at that is because sometimes knowing what you want is pretty difficult. And I would put my hand up to say, I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up until I was about 50. (laughs) And here I am doing what I want. But the other thing is, what don't I want anymore? And that make a list and say, "If if I don't want this kind of stuff anymore, how much of it is in my day-to-day and my career right now? I'm going to hand over to hear the wise views of, of my pals. So when I read this, I this is Susan. 
when I read this, the first thing that came into my mind is one of my favorite quotes, which happily I read in my 20s. So it's guided my career for a very long time. And it's from Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And it goes something like this. All paths are the same. They all lead nowhere. So the real question is, does this path have a heart for you? And if so, follow it. So building on what Michelle just touched on, doing the work to figure out what about your career so far has a heart for you and what doesn't will help you figure out whether it's worth continuing to do the work to become expert in it or whether you need to take those parts that have a heart for you and shape shift them into a new career path. And this is Amal. I think what I'll add to that is the notion of what do you who do you want to be when you grow up, right? Or what do you want to be when you grow up? I think is self-limiting. And I think we were told that as children, and as you grow up, your expectation is that as you grow up, you need to be one thing. Right? And for the longest time, I think I've struggled with that. And, you know, I've always looked at my colleagues who, let's say somebody works in accounting, they're an accountant, they've been an accountant for 15, 20 years, that's the experience they have. That's what they're known for. Somebody else work in finance. That's what they do. Right. And, and I've struggled with, oh, well, I've worked, I have several experiences, right? Operation experience, you know, strategy building, data analytics, but I don't have one skill set to call my own. And I've struggled with identity in that sense. And I it wasn't until I listened to Susan's TED talk that said, you know, women really need to understand you know, where the company's moving, strategic acumen, right? You need to understand the financials, goals they're trying to accomplish, and then your role in moving the company forward. And then I realized, okay, so if I was only stuck in being the finance person, I wouldn't have business acumen and I wouldn't have strategic acumen, right? So it, it gave me permission to allow myself to have, you know, to be the strategy person, to be the finance person, to be the person that has the business acumen, and to know that the more I grew, the more skill sets I put into my toolbox And then the more my mind, I think, grew with that. So I would say don't box yourself into a one job or one skill uh, as, as a definition of who you need to be as you grow up. I think allow yourself to morph into a new person every few years and to challenge yourself to pick up maybe some new skills. And at the end, I think what I've learned is... I am a businesswoman and entrepreneur at heart, which means I'm very comfortable running a business, running the financials, building the strategic plan, you know, developing the data and analytics needs to tell the business story. And all of those skills are just fine because they make me a fantastic businesswoman. As, as you were both talking, I was thinking about two women that I really respect and have given pieces of advice. One some time ago, and she was a partner at IBM at the time and hugely successful. I first saw her lecture in one of my MBA topics. I, I reached out to her, started you know contacting her networking, and now I consider her as part of my strategic network. I get this note from her one day and she said, I'm, I've left IBM. And I said, okay, <laughs> what are you going to do? And she said, not quite sure, doing a podcast. I'm doing a bit of leadership stuff here. And I just said, whoa. So we had a coffee and I said, what prompted it? And she said, you know, Michelle, I sat down one day and I thought of all the things that make 
my day's good days. And it was this, this stuff and the stuff that was kind of aggravating me or not giving me joy or being heart was the part that went with being a partner. And I went, I'm on the earth for one time, depending what you believe, but you know, one time. And it's time to kind of lead with my heart and, and do what I love. So she wanted to do more things that made every day a good day. And I really, it, that really helped me as I transitioned from one career to another. Then just recently, I interviewed Dr. Katrina Wallace for our for this podcast and Katrina talked about we often talk about the hero's journey which you know I have followed again since I did my MBA you know the hero's journey you find adversity you find a mentor blah, 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 triumph over blah 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 and she said no, no no we want to talk about the heroine's journey so many women reach a point at some point in their careers and in their lives where they want to follow their heart and she's she gave the advice of, you know, go for, because I was talking about how do we get more women into AI and into tech and, and what, what would need to be done. She said, I want women to follow their heart. And because it's like the, you know, that, that beautiful Venn diagram or Ikigai, when the world has a need, you've got a skill, you can get paid for it. And there's this beautiful overlapping piece in the center, which is, which is your purpose and why, why you exist. But, you know, that's, that's pretty esoteric, but I just go, what makes every day a good day for you, dear listener? Figure out, write down those things that make a good day and then go, okay, then do a bit of a side by side. Is, is this current career job? role, whatever it may be, or this path I'm on, is that going to give me more good days or less good days? And the, the, and your answer is probably there somewhere. Thank you. Okay. On to question two. I'm interviewing at a startup that's in series A funding and nervous about job security. What are some questions I can ask to gauge the stability of the company? Well, so, you might want to answer that because you've had some interesting conversations lately and apparently asked really good questions. Sure, sure. I can take a first pass at that. I'm interviewing at some other companies and, and I feel comfortable saying that because I, I have made the decision and announcement that I'm leaving the role that I have been in. Uh, so I have interviewed at a startup recently and I, I had the same concern. I don't know what series they're in, but I interviewed with a company that is private equity owned and I asked one of the leaders from the private equity firm directly the question, can you help me understand the financial runway that this company has? And so the response that I got helped me to understand the types of things that the private equity company cares about and how that affects their decision-making and their investments. One of the things that helped me believe that they are very serious about holding on to this company until it reaches a certain level of success is they're about to go through another round of finding investors, finding funding to expand some manufacturing operations. And that to me was an indicator that they're doing well enough that they see the need to expand their man manufacturing, especially in a new direction, and that they're making the efforts to invest that in this company. So that was the that was the way that I asked it and the response that I got that made me feel comfortable. But I'd love to hear from the rest of the panel, you know, what else might 
this person ask? And, you know, if they don't get the kind of answer that I got, what might they hear that could be a red flag? I think, I think that's another good question. I I had two reactions to this question. Uh, One, Mel, in, in response to your asking about what other questions, it's similar to what you asked, but differently worded. I was thinking you could ask about what are their projections to reach profitability? Because if it's too far out, that would be a red flag to me. If they blow off the question, which I think happened a lot before the tech crash years ago, uh, that would be a red flag. Can I just add to that, that I ended up in that discussion as well. And the green light, the green flag, if you will, that I got there was that the response that I got from both the people at the company and the people at the private equity firm was consensus on the length of the sales cycle for this industry being accurate and there are lots of companies, even established companies that have completely unrealistic details. So you need to know for your industry what the sales cycle really is. And that should align with the response that you get in discussions like this. The the other reaction I had was totally different than what good question should I ask? It was someone's looking for job security really in 2021. It's like, mind blown because it seems to me that that's like, you know, a wish that that went away back in the 1970s. So I think it's, that's a little flip. And I think it is important to be smart about your choice of a company to, to go work for, but there's no job security anywhere anymore. No, there isn't. And it, and I want to build on that as well, because my reaction and, you know, Mel and I have talked a lot about this question that I answer a lot to women. I just say, my after you get through all the nuts and the bolts, ask the question. So, well, there's two. How does someone like me be successful in your organisation? And then what does success look like in the first 12 months? And the way I always say, I say to my clients and, and to, to women in a career that saws is, we're going to sit down in one year's time and open up a bottle of something very French, very expensive and very bubbly to celebrate our success. Tell me the three things that we're going to go tick, tick, tick to, the three tangible things. And that's the question that you should ask at interview and then again in during your onboarding because gee, you can flounder. And, and I would I would give that advice to my younger self who didn't ask that question or and didn't repeat it again when she started, you know, and you find yourself floundering after three months going, am I in the right job? Am I doing the right thing? Because you don't, you haven't got that little mini roadmap. And I think that also, you know, 12, just make it 12 months to build on that. And Susan's view about job security, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, every Every move you make is just another stepping stone. And people say, oh, God, I'd look bad on my CV if I'm only somewhere for three months or six months or 12 months. Ah, that, that's rubbish. It's, it's not. you. For me, you went in, you made a difference, or you went in and you didn't make a difference, and here are the reasons why now I'm moving on. So have that mindset of this is this is the grand adventure, and as long as you're moving forward, that that's that's the main thing. And it's not the tablets of Moses. You know, these are not written in stone for forevermore. You know, you can you can make other moves. So experiment and and perhaps take a few risks. Be a bit bold. Be bold. 
Uh, so I'm going to move us on to the next question. And I'd like to say a trigger warning for our listeners. The topic of this question is around sexual harassment. Okay, so this person says, I desperately need advice. I've received an offer to be a team manager at a startup. I just learned that they hired a project manager that would report directly to me. I know this person from a previous company and that they were fired as a result of multiple reports of sexual harassment. He continued to contact me after he was fired and I had to threaten a restraining order to get him to stop. I'm leaning towards turning down the offer. What can I say to the hiring manager? I think the important thing here and the really tragic thing is our friend who sent in this question, had to deal with this situation at all. I think she's absolutely right to turn down the offer. And to be protective of herself, I think the right course of action, and I would recommend her to bring a copy of the restraining order to the hiring manager and say, I was very interested in this job. I would love to take it. But as you can see, <laughs> hand her the restraining order. I will sadly have to decline. And please keep me in mind for future opportunities. She has to avoid disparaging him, uh, bringing up anything that's outside of, of what's on the restraining order, because that could be construed as hearsay, bad-mouthing, whatever. If it got ever got back to him, she would be in trouble. But having a restraining order gives her a solid foundation for turning down the job for, and also alerts the hiring manager. Amal, you've, I'm really interested in your view, given where you hang out at the moment around employee relations and, and, you know, really being that glue, how would you respond? So I struggled with this a little bit because I think a part of me says, you know, the predictor of future behavior is past behavior, right? If he misbehaved in the previous company, then what is the likelihood that he's misbehaved in this company and they just have not done anything about it? So what does it say maybe about the culture of the new environment that you're about to go into? The second thing that I'm worried about is if she says... If she's transparent about the why, um, knowing his behavior, right, that escalated um, after, you know, um, they were not working together and I see that he was fired, but he continued to pursue her and contact her. You know, I think my fear would be that he would retaliate if he found out that she was the reason he's now fired from the second job. Right? So I would say I would decline the offer um, and I would advise um, the hiring manager um, of the reason why, um, without going into much detail, right? And just saying there has been a circumstance and um, and maybe in that time you can ask some questions about, you know, what their hiring practices are like and what they're, I, I'm struggling a little bit with, you know, if somebody, if he's that aggressive, I don't know. I, I just struggle with that he is in new company and he just hasn't done anything, right? So um, I would say I would decline the job and I would let them know the why, but give them as, a, you know, not don't go full fledged, give them the details that they need to know so that you are not burning a bridge, let's say, but also making sure that you're protecting yourself because it seems like he has escalating behavior. And if it got to the point where she needed, she threatened to get a restraining order. My concern is that he would escalate the behavior if he knew that she'd now come in after him for a second job 
and what is what is the likelihood like what the world is so small. Yeah, I agree. And I think so to to put the words into this woman's mouth. So number one, I'm, I'm really sorry that you've had that experience and that your career has hit a speed bump because of someone else's really poor behavior, reprehensible behavior. Be very, very clear with the hiring manager. Yep, here's why. And I expect confidentiality because my safety will be compromised if you do not honor the, the confidentiality. It's then up to that hiring manager and that organization to take action. And I think what this this highlights for me is, you know, when we background check people, when we ref check, you know, I think reference checks just aren't worth the paper they're written on, quite frankly. You know, if I'm going to ask, like I could ask the three of you to be a referee for me for a job. I'm not going for a job, by the way. And Or I could ask my three best mates. And of course, you're going to say nice things. I think reference checks is, uh, reference checks are outdated. And I agree, past behaviour is going to be an indicator of potential future behaviour. Now, perhaps this person's had some rehabilitation, perhaps they've changed their ways, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. But the reality is there are two things. One, she's got to keep herself safe and not put herself back into a situation where she could be unsafe. Number two, if she feels she wants to, she can be of service to other women by highlighting why this is so, so that the other organisation can or they can choose to take action or not, but it is not her responsibility. She's done her duty. And then move on to the next to the next great opportunity. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying not to read too much into the question, but it says somewhere here where they just hired someone as a PM that would report to me. So was he just hired? Right. I think there's conversations there that you can have because this person will be reporting to you to say that this, you know, I'm unable to accept because of this. And and if he was just hired, then you know, they might choose her over him. But I think you you have to put your safety first over any job. Job offers will come and other jobs will come. I think we've all seen the horror stories that that come out. And if this person's behavior had escalated when he was fired from the last job, I would want to make sure that she keeps herself safe first and foremost. One hundred percent agree. I want to add to this and pose another question to you here on the panel. So I encountered a situation at one point in my career where I had an offer in hand at a company where one of the people who was in a leadership role at a vice president level had, let's let's say this person uh, was married and had at a conference propositioned me rather inappropriately. And so when I received this offer from from this company to come to work for them, I had to then think about, okay, and because obviously I'd said no, I had to think about, okay, is this person ever going to be in a position of authority over me? Because that is not going to be acceptable for me. So that was something I had to kind of think through. But what I want to ask here on the panel is, this seems to me like a situation that mostly women face. And I think for leaders who listen to this podcast, especially the male leaders who listen to this podcast, I think it might help them to hear from you about what they need to understand about situations that women face like this. Do any of you have a comment on that? Yeah, I do because I had one recently with a client and the manager of an area contacted me and wanted my advice because a woman in his area, in in his area of responsibility, had reported sexual harassment by a colleague and he was asking me my advice about what he should do. And one of the things that he offered the victim 
was for her to have some time off, to move to a different work location, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, Michelle, I've copped some flack from other colleagues because they say, why is she being made to work, uh, sorry, change workplace? Why is she being given time off? And I said, well, at the heart of all this is we have to be victim-centred. So it actually, we need to give her control and agency and choice over what happens right now. So number one, we have to believe her. Number two, we have to check We have to make safe. This is a safety issue, so we have to make safe. So we have to make the situation safe. So, and that is that is her choice about how that happens. So, if she wants to work in the same location, we have to remove the safety hazard, i.e., the alleged perpetrator. Or if she says, "I'm not comfortable working in that situation. I want to work in a different location or have some time off," that's what she should do. So, I said to this manager, "As long as you have got her at the centre of your decision making." It's, it's kind of okay because there is actually no, there's, there's some rules obviously, but there is, there's no one way to do this except for being victim-centred. So for leaders who are listening when they enc- encounter this, number one, believe her. Number two, make her safe. Acknowledge her, make her feel safe, give her choice about what safety means. Number three, then start an investigation with an independent person because... You know, because and at the heart of this, this means you must take action. So, so that that's my first bit of advice. Thanks, Michelle. So, I would say if I had to think about this, I would say number one, it takes courage to come out and say that you were harassed at work, right? Because I think there's a level of intimidation and a lot of you know, there's fear of retribution and retaliation that is true, that is you know felt, and it's it's very real for the person that is um, that is putting the complaint forward. So I would say show respect that it took them the courage to come out and say something has happened to me and this something is not acceptable, right? Number one. Number two, I would say, I agree with Michelle, you need to have an unbiased third party, whether that's your HR department or, you know, um, conduct the investigation so that you are personally not involved in it. Because I've seen many times where, you know, personal relationships get involved in, you know, doing a thorough unbiased investigation where I'm like, yeah, but you know, Mel would never do that. I know her and I've known her, right? So I would say you need to remove yourself from the situation and you need to give this person the benefit of the doubt, right? Allow the investigation process to take its course and allow the facts, the evidence to guide that conversation. And at the end, if it is discovered that there is harassment or sexual harassment um, in your workplace and on your team, that is not a reflection on you as a leader. So do not take this personally, but take you know, a moment to reflect on the findings and then take the appropriate actions to make sure that it doesn't happen to anyone else on your watch again. I'm Mel Butcher, and I want to talk to you about Project Best Self. Project Best Self is a goal-setting and habit-formation intensive. Together, we'll get clarity on our goals, set up the systems we need to be successful in those goals, and provide support to one another in our cohort in this intensive. I'd love to see you inside Project Best Self. Come join us. Learn more under the courses section inside A Career That Soars. only thing that I would add to what Michelle and Amal have said, with which I absolutely agree, is that there is a tendency for men of goodwill and good behavior, because they they don't imagine themselves behaving in a sexually harassing way, 
to doubt that other men do. And I say this to reiterate the point about objective investigation. I'm not even sure I'm going to say this and I'm going to get a lot of flack for it. I don't know if a man can objectively investigate because the tendency to protect one's own is so strong and the the sense of brotherhood is so strong and the sense of patriarchy is so strong. So I know that's cruel and judgmental and stereotypical, but based on what's happening in the U.S. politically these days, that's what came to mind with your question now. And actually, if I might just add something, Susan, what, something you said just like triggered a thought in my mind. I think, and this has happened actually at my, my son's school, I've struggled with, if your definition of I'm going to show affection is, let's say, to hug someone, right? That's how you grew up. That's how you were brought up. Do not assume that that's how everybody should show affection, right? I think there is your definition of what you think is appropriate in the workplace, but what you're thinking of as appropriate, I'm going to see as inappropriate, and that was sexual harassment. And you need to be respectful of that person's privacy and their personal space. And if they feel like that was crossing the line, you need to understand that you did cross the line instead of saying, well, I do this all the time and nobody takes offense. Well, apparently somebody did, right? So everybody has values and everybody have a way that they were brought up where they see what is right and wrong and define what is right and wrong. Do not, you know, force your values on others, right? Like accept others and accept their differences and the values that they bring to the table and be respectful of those differences and those values. The other build that that I would add is... So in Australia, we had our Respect at Work by the Human Rights Commission study or report done in 2020. And shockingly for many, not for me, the numbers, you know, one in three women are sexually assaulted, harassed, bullied at, at work, one in three. That, that rises to two and three if you're a woman of colour, an Aboriginal one. So this is this is pervasive and ubiquitous. And so for, for to, to Amal's point about personal boundaries and what have you, the organisation must have very clear code of conduct, bullying, sexual harassment and zero tolerance policies, which are not just a policy written and popped onto the website, that they are part of the way we do stuff around here, that they are visibly and, and verbally talked about, monitored, measured, celebrated when done right. So what does good look like and then dealt with when it is not done right. So so to sum that up, this is pervasive. This is not just a one-off. This will be happening in your organisation left unchecked. And number two, you've got to do something about it proactively and then unfortunately reactively. It's This is leadership, folks. Well, and to wrap us up on this one, I'm going to circle back to what Susan was saying a moment ago, this isn't just speculation on her part. This is documented phenomenon in patriarchal societies. I first came to understand it from an article that talked about empathy, H-I-M-P-A-T-H-Y. And, you know, I think we've seen it in cases like the rapist from Stanford University who got off effectively with no punishment and the arguments in his favor leaned towards caring about his future, his potential, and not centering the victim as it should have. So absolutely substantiating that unbiased parties need to be involved and uh, definitely women 
need to be involved in the investigation. Okay, we're going to back out of this heavy discussion and go on to another question. I love this question. It's one of my favorite topics. Salary, money, ladies get paid. Okay, so this person says, I'm an entry-level worker in a technical space. I'm not sure my salary compares appropriately to others doing similar work. What can I do? Can I take the first stab at this one? This is a mall. There are three things you can do. Number one, I think you can go and find out how much your peers outside of the company are paid. I think, you know, Indeed is one platform to go glass door and see what the comparison is outside the company. And then the second thing that I would say is if you've been in your role for one year, I think you can start documenting what you've accomplished, right? Here is what I was hired to do. Here is, you know, what I've done and what I've been able to check off. And I think go in and have a conversation with your leader to say, you know, I've started X, I don't know, X month. I started in January. I've really enjoyed the work that I do. I feel like I've contributed a lot to the company. Here are my accomplishments for the year. And this is how I've made a difference in the business. I have been able to review my experiences and my background. And based on the effort that I'm putting with, you know, externally, and this is what those people are paid. I feel like there is a gap. Is there a way to do an assessment for my grade level internally and across the company to see if I'm paid at an equitable rate. And I think what that will help him, what that will help the manager do is go look at, let's say if you're a certain grade level, where you fall within all the other peers that you have internally, right? And if there is an opportunity to bring you up because you are underpaid, I think then they will make the salary exception for you. But you have to equip him with the business case to go and make on your behalf. So you can't just say, well, can you just pay me more? You have to say, I deserve to be paid more. And this is why, because I've contributed X, Y, and Z to the business. And that's why I should be paid more than I'm paid right now. I really like that advice, Amal. Can you do an audit or a review across the salary bands? Because it does give that manager the opportunity to not have to respond in the moment, i.e., well, no, I'm, we're outside of cycle or this, that and the other. So I think that's that's a really good one to go and say, let's audit. So it, it puts the accountability on them to go and find out. And by the way, that's where the accountability should lie to start off with, with the company, with leaders. But, um, but then the second part of your advice, she must do her research. So what outcomes am I leading for and have I nailed them? If you don't know what outcomes you're leading for, well, you need to read Susan's book, No Selling, No Wars, join a career that soars and learn about leading for outcomes and then learn about the outcomes you're leading for, your positional purpose. Why does the company pay you money? Even though your money, you might think you're not getting enough money. Why does the company fund your position and then map it to what you've actually done in the last 12 months? And that goes for whether you think you're underpaid or you just want a salary review or whatever that is. Do, do the work. So that's my two cents worth. So I totally support everything Amal said and Michelle's enhancements. And I want to reiterate the importance of of presenting your manager with the business case for if you if if you have identified that what you're being paid is out of step with your profession and or industry, bringing your manager the business case with which he or she can then proceed to do the internal investigation is really helpful because we all like to think that we're the center of the world and that our manager's job is to look out for us in terms of our career development and our compensation and all of those important things. And yes, it is, but our manager's also have other things to do. So the more we can make it easy for them to 
uh, help us with our compensation by making a business case and doing the external research. And the more we can help them advocate for us, the better off we are. All right. So quick question to you panelists. My company is starting to do layoffs and I'm feeling like I need to find something new. I have web development and graphic design experience, but might want to do something different. What steps should I take next? And I do think this is a great question because I have been seeing more uh, posts on LinkedIn from people about layoffs. So timely. So my first reaction to this was, well, you have to transform your might want to do something different into a just plain I want to do something different. So if you can't do that, then stick with what you're doing. So it kind of goes back to an earlier question and where Michelle said, you have to do the work to figure out what you want and what will help you build your best life. So steps to take. Again, when you're deploying the skills that you have, the extent to which that feels gratifying to you or not, And if it doesn't, then filtering through other past experiences to find those that have felt gratifying and fulfilling. Those are two first steps that I would take. I'm going to take this in a different direction. And, you know, I always say on our workshops in a career that soars and when I do my leadership programs with women. This is my favorite module, but I've got so many favorite modules based on Susan's wonderful book. It's like trying to choose my favorite child, but networking. When do you need, when do you network? When do you strategically network when you lead it, when you need it least? Because when you need it most, you can't just pick up and go, holy crap, I haven't spoken to Susan for five years, but I better ring her because I need a job. You know, it doesn't work that way, folks. So irrespective of whether you're going to change your career pathway, your skills, whatever it may be, start thinking about your network right now. And your network, a strategic network, so connecting with the right others that are connected to a goal. And so that goal might be, I want to explore X, Y, or Z type of career. Start to really map your network and say, who might I want to build a stronger connection with? And this doesn't mean best, best buddies, but a stronger connection with so that I can benefit from their wisdom and they can also become exposed to my ambition or my curiosity or my track record of accomplishments, etc. So I, I want this person to sure do all the exploration, do work, but I want I want her to really think about her strategic network and get, if it's not strategic, make it strategic and start getting very planned about it. Which enables the activity of informational interviewing. So I think I might want to do this kind of work. Let me talk to some people who are doing it, right? Yeah, excellent point. Well, why don't we spin this and let you answer this question. Well, I do agree with the both the sentiments from Susan and Michelle, right? They, it, the question almost has two parts. You got to figure out what direction you're trying to go in first, uh, because most people can't help you with that. Um, unless you're hiring a career coach or you're coming inside a career that soars and working with us through coaching or, or a course or whatever, most people are not going to be able to guide you when you're unmoored and you're not sure what direction you're going in. But having said that, people want to help. They 
do desperately want to help, but they typically can only do it when you give them a clear ask. And that's where your network comes in because once you have your clear ask, you can tap into folks. And I guess I'll emphasize here that your network doesn't have to be about relationships with a bunch of petite people that can potentially hire you. Your network needs to have depth to it because everyone knows someone. And when when you're tapping into your network, it's often going to be a connection of a connection or a couple of times removed. So so I think this person has some work to do on on two different fronts to get where they need to go. Yeah, that, that I think it's breadth of network as well. And so for her right now, think about her industry and and it might even be an industry level. So, okay, I'm in, you know, what is she in now? Web development and graphic design. Maybe she wants to become a zookeeper. So, you know, like a completely different, you know. So let's let's go and figure out what are the industries around zoos and who who do I know that might be connected to someone who's connected to someone and then that informational stuff. So you kind of, and I agree with you, Mel, you, you kind of got to help us out here with – Give, give us a bit of a, a sense of what it might be because like you, I, and like all of you, I would talk to many, many people and, and I had a I had an awesome conversation with a woman last week. Uh, she's an expat, recently returned to Australia, got a very specific goal, very specific skill set. I connected with her. I had a conversation with her. I said, I know exactly what to do to help you. I know the three people that you've got to connect with. Are you open to that? Boom, boom, boom. It was just, and she just went, oh, wow. And I went, this is easy, right? You know who you are, what you want, and what your next step is. And I can use my network to connect you with that. That's a doddle, right? And I love those ones. It's where, how can I help you? Oh, I don't really know. Um, I'm thinking about and And that's when mentors and potential people in your strategic network kind of might ghost you or run a mile because they go, this is too hard. I can't help her because she doesn't know what she wants yet. Yeah. And I'll just add to that, that when you're on LinkedIn, what this looks like, I'm going to give the bad example and then the good example. So the bad example would be, hey, LinkedIn network, I'm looking for a job. I'd appreciate any leads you could help me out with versus dear LinkedIn network, I am on the job market now and I am looking for a mid civil engineering position for a consulting company and I'm able to work in this city or relocate to this city or this city. Specifics around level, the type of company, the type of specialty and location, all all of these types of things help put the idea in someone's head so that even if they don't have a lead for you right away, you've given them something specific enough that if they see that or hear of that opportunity in the future, they can make a connection for you or circle back. And likewise, when you make a one-to-one personal connection on LinkedIn, and I use, I'm do, using air quotes with personal because so many of them aren't, please don't in-mail me with, hi, Michelle. I love the look of your profile. You're clearly an expert in your sector. Tell me more about your business. Let's have a coffee. And I go, well, I think this is a sales, someone prospecting or, you know, or can we have a coffee? No, because I I actually don't just front up for coffee with random strangers. I'm a very generous person and I really want to help women, but I'd, I'd really like to have some context and some framework around that. 
Hi, Michelle. My name's Mel Butcher. I'm looking for a, a position mid-sized firm uh, midway in my career for engineering. I know that you're connected with um, XYZ Company, and I also see that you work with women. Can I get on a Zoom with you for 15 minutes to discuss my goals and how we might be able to work together or how you could help me? Yeah, cool. Easy. You've given me dimensions, time, um, clear ask, and I know exactly what I'm fronting up to do. So, yeah, and it takes practice and work, folks, but we really, really respond to people who are specific with us because it gives us a chance to say, yeah, no worries. Or listen, I don't have capacity right now, but my friend Abal is going to be really useful. I'm going to ask if she's okay for that connection and, and refer you to her. So we've got to, this is this, this is the art and the nuts and bolts of strategic networking is getting really specific. Make it easy for people to say yes. A little bit like um, Amal's advice about the pay rise. Make it easy for people to say yes. Make it easy for people to say Yes. As, as our member Bronwyn right, would say, there, that might be a knowledge bomb. All right. We're going to take it away with the last question here for our panel. All right. And this is one of the, this is the one that had me most exasperated that this is still happening. So if leaders listening, pay attention. I recently had a performance review and received this feedback. I do excellent work. I'm highly skilled, knowledgeable, and people enjoy working with me. However, I was told I lack executive presence and that I need to play a more active role in meetings, etc., to get to the next level. This was disheartening. I believe I contribute quality over quantity. What can I do to change how I'm seen? I know that this perception is holding me back in my career. So I want to first make the point that we who will have a lot of great advice to give are the wrong people to ask. She should go back and ask her manager what he or she meant specifically about executive presence. Beauty is in, in the eye of the beholder, right? Exactly. Um, and this, exactly. This, this falls into the, so folks, when you, when you receive nebulous, vague, unhelpful, non-targeted career advice or advice, clarify. So, so, Thank you very much for that feedback, Susan. I'd really like to understand what your definition of executive presence is. What would you have me do more of and less of in every meeting? And if you're saying that I need to play a more active role, what specifically do you mean? Excuse me, that I should lead more meetings or do you mean that that I should do a better job of making the business case for my points. What exactly does that mean? Because I don't want to err on the side of quantity over quality because I have been working on quality of input. And it kind of falls into that. You've got to be more visible and raise your profile. So what does that mean? Do I interrupt everyone in a meeting and become known as that annoying Michellus interruptus? Or, you know, what does that actually mean? So yeah, ask, go back and ask for more specific feedback. And if you want to know about executive presence, the the mechanics, come and join us in a career that soars because we work on it a lot. Yeah, Amal, I was going to say, you probably are reached out to by many women who get feedback like this. So I wondered what you were telling them. I give them a book of no ceiling, no walls. Seriously, like <laughs> I, like there, it's one of those words, like it's the same 
to me, it feels the same like someone telling you you're not strategic enough, right? It is executive presence is so packed. Are you talking about the way the person dresses? Are you talking about how they sit up in a meeting or sit down or slouch in a meeting? Are you talking about the way they speak? Are you talking about how they enunciate certain words when they speak? Are you talking about their knowledge of the business and their ability to present and bring those ideas across? So it's one of those, I think, sentences or words that truly, if you don't get a hold of it, and, and make it your own and define executive presence in your own, it could truly, in my opinion, demoralize someone. Um, and I've seen it happen to many women because of someone, because someone told them they didn't have executive presence. And, and they usually will tell you, well, look at the CEO, look at the CFO, look at all these other people. And you're like, yeah, but all of them are, and I'm not sure that I can, I found one female to, to emulate. So I would say, obviously read those ceiling and the walls, because that's what I read. And then from there, I understood that executive presence in a package is first understanding the business of your business. So when you are when you know, when you're going into a meeting and you understand not only what you're going to talk about in the meeting, because remember, meetings are not just to go in there and talk. You need to be able to understand what message you're bringing across. What is the reaction of that room going to be? What you want people to walk away from that meeting with? You truly need to have a strategic plan for that meeting. So I would say, number one, is it your delivery in the meeting or how you prepare for that meeting that the person is talking about? Second thing is, and I think when you understand the business and you're prepared really well, confidence then comes naturally. One of the advice, the advices that I've been given, and I'll say it here humbly, there there is a thing to say about women who understand the business of their business and are then exuding that confidence in a conference room. I would say there are times when someone will come up with an idea. They'll tell you something to deflate your um, confidence bubble is what I'm going to call it. And you know that the idea they're coming up with, you already researched it. You already know it's not going to work. You've already done the research. There are times when you just need to say, oh, that's a good idea. Let me let me take it back so that you're not always the person that says, yeah, I already looked at that. That's not going to work. You need to give other people the opportunity to say what they need to say, right? Um, and you say, yes, I'll take that back and I'll look at it and I'll come back to you, even if you know the answer. Second thing that I would say, so we talked about understanding the business of your business that gives you confidence. And then I think at the end is speaking the language of the business, right? And I've struggled with this because the definition of pie for the longest time drove me crazy. And if you read Susan's book about mentoring, like what you realize is there is, apparently there is a cake definition that I didn't know about. And I focus so much on pie, right? And that, and of course, like that never even crossed my path until I read the book. And I was like, oh, so we were doing cake this whole time instead of making a pie. So the definition of pie at some levels in your career, right? It's about your performance, your image, and your exposure. And the way it was always explained to me is how you're performing in your job, how you present yourself, right? How you speak, but also how you look and present yourself. You're wearing your suit. You have, as a woman, I have a box of heels under my desk. So wearing my heels and standing up straight. Um, and at the end, you know, about um, exposure and you being exposed to the right people. But at some a level, a certain level of your career, when you become either a leader of people leaders or you become a leader of business, that definition changes. And now you need to look at image differently because it's your ability to speak the language of the business. And I think when I read the book, and I would say both books combined bring great value, you realize that you walk away thinking, OK, I, I have what it takes I have executive presence. And sometimes I actually tell people, let me tell you what ex executive presence is. So you're not you're not struggling the next time 
you have to explain that to someone, right? Because I truly think some people just don't know what they're saying when they tell you executive presence. It could be that they just don't like the way you're dressed that day or the way you spoke that day. But by putting it in the business context, you're even helping your leader get there. And maybe you can explain it to them by saying, my understanding of executive presence is my ability to speak the language of the business, my understanding of the business of the business, right? And, and my ability to come to a conference room, sit at the table, and deliver on that business commitment so that people are walking away understanding our strategic commitments and how we're going to deliver on these messages. That's how I'm approaching this. Tell me how you would approach it and how that's different. Great advice. And, you know, if you Google executive presence, which I just did, you get 358 million results in less than a second. It's a little bit like when you Google leadership, you get trillions of results in less than a second, which is why Susan has got very defined definitions, very defined definitions, a very clear definition about leadership. Leadership's using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others. And executive presence, the ability to attract and hold the attention of decision makers and a business savvy message. So, you know, this this is this is why we need very clear roadmaps, definitions for, for women in particular, but also for the leaders of women to work to when we talk about leadership, executive presence. And you're right, Amal, these terms are ubiquitous and they get flung around all over the place and what have you. So let's let's come back. So dear listener, back to your manager and say, okay, let's let us together, let's work out what executive presence is. And then what am I going to do more of and less of? I love it. And there, there was an episode we recorded quite a while ago where we talked about executive presence in detail. So, Oh, and also feedback as well, Mel. Yep. So check those out if you haven't heard those already. Okay. I want to thank all of you, the amazing hosts of A Career That Soars, and you, dear listener, for staying with us and sharing time with us to learn, grow, and develop more in your career. So this is the last episode of season four for us. We're going to take a bit of a break and we look forward to coming back to you for season five. Yes, we'll have lots of stories to tell, won't we, Mel? Because we'll be, I'll be in the USA with you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough of my glee. Thanks again, everybody. See, See you next time. This summer, A Career That Soars is pleased to offer a new, unique experience. Michelle Redfern, Amal Youssef, and myself, Mel Butcher, will be hosting Leadership Is, a live in-person workshop in Madison, Wisconsin, August 11 through 12, 2022. If you are a leader in an organization that's serious about supporting your female talent pipeline, learn more about sending a small cohort of women from your company to the event at leadtosoar.com slash sponsor. That's leadtosoar.com slash sponsor. And if you're a career woman ready to grow your ability to create the outcomes for your organization that matter most, we'd love for you to join us. Visit leadtosoar.com slash leadership is for attendee workshop details. That's leadtosoar.com slash leadership is. This has been another episode of Lead to Soar, a production of a career that soars. You can reach Michelle Redfern at michelleredfern.com and Mel Butcher at melbutcher.com. Join us inside a career that soars at a career that soars.com.